Hi, and welcome to Series 5, Episode 6 of the Canny Conversations podcast, powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Saf will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. In the second part of Saf's conversation with Viran Patel, CEO of the Open University Worldwide. They talk about Viran's perspective on leadership, diversity, and driving change. He discusses leading the Open University through the pandemic, embracing new technology like AI, and strategies to remain relevant in a rapidly evolving world. Viran stresses the importance of empowering teams, coaching rather than micromanaging to help employees reach their potential. Other topics that Viran and Safraz cover include talent development, work culture, managing diverse teams, and maintaining a work-life balance. Viran offers wisdom as both a business leader and a champion of inclusion, adding value, guiding others, and positively influencing the workforce under his leadership. So let's join Safraz and Viran. So... When, when I type your name, Viran, into Google and the search engines and so forth, I see all these articles and thought leadership pieces, and they're very, very interesting. Yeah, they make you think. They make you sort of think, okay, you know what, this is a different aspect to it and so forth. And, and you know, you're, you're, you've been an avid uh, author in that aspect of it. You've invested in doing productions like, you know, uh, that we, or recently that we've been involved with, Elevate Equity. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking sort of professional level standard of investment there. It's not just somebody with a, a small YouTube channel type of yeah. production. It's a professional production, a lot of investment. You know, you invited people from cross-sector to get involved, a lot of collaboration there. What's your driver in terms of, because some of it may not relate directly to business, yeah. you know, commercials. Yeah. Uh, and you're a commercial man, obviously, you know, financial ways, and, you know, you know P&L and you know profit loss and all of those sort of things. How does he work in terms of this thought leadership pieces and you giving back and and then getting people together and the whole element of investing? How, do, how does that work? It's been a real push of mine for the last eight years around thought leadership. The OU weren't very good at thought leadership, yeah. you know, especially in the sort of the B2B area, the, yeah. the business area. And I've been pushing that quite heavily for the last few years. Yeah. And you know, we want to be the the guiding light, the, the pioneers yeah. in this space. We want people to debate, to think about these challenges, whether it's in diversity, whether it's around inclusion, whether it's around skills. We want individuals, organizations, government bodies to think about actually, actually, that's really interesting. We should be thinking about this, right? So for me, it's about instilling a debate, sparking a debate, Mm. challenging the norm for the better, for the good. Mm. Um, And spending, investing money in this, you're right, it's not commercial, but actually it is commercial in a way because the value we get out of elevate equity or our, or our roundtables on diversity is that we get people coming in saying, well, actually, I saw that. I'm really interested. Can I have a conversation? And that may or may not mean that they come to the OU and work with us, but actually we've got a friend or part of a network or an organization that, that may work with us in the future. So yeah. actually it's, it's, it's really, it makes good business sense to be doing it, actually. You're yeah. driving the market. Yeah, You're absolutely. driving thinking. Absolutely. And anybody who hasn't seen the elevate equity programs, they should absolutely must watch those. Yeah, you know, professionally produced, and so much learning, so much sort of, just so much value there. 
for free. You know, it's, it's there and so, so forth. So I think that was fantastic. And anybody who hasn't who hasn't who hasn't seen it must see it. Elevate equity, I think, definitely pioneering. Congratulations on that. Okay. Um, in terms of some of the stuff that you know you've been talking about and writing. And some of it, I mean, you know, we're talking about COVID. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about COVID as well because mm-hmm. I think, you know, that that was a period where we all sort of changed and adapted and so forth. So talk to us a little bit about that particular period, how you as an organization, institution, firstly, embrace that, uh, you know, you're a, and then there's just two, three different parts of this. Oh, you as an employer, yep. passive employer. Oh, you as a, a learning institution, mm-hmm. and then uh, then I want to talk a little bit about some of the changes afterwards. But those yeah. two ads, really. yeah, sure. So as an employer, I mean, COVID was quite challenging for us. Yeah, think about this campus that you were in now. Normally, pre-COVID, three and a half thousand uh, yeah. members of staff. Yeah, can't get a space in the car park. <laughs> yeah. Amazingly busy. Yeah, queuing for coffee for for half an hour. Right, <laughs> that kind of scenario. COVID happened, and overnight we had to move three and a half thousand people home. That's a huge operational logistical challenge right i mean maybe even for a small organization but for us at the au it was huge and it was like a military precision operation we were literally running it like a ministry operation we were saying to people work at home take your laptops we'll send you laptops we'll send you take your chairs with you if you can if not we'll get them delivered to you if if you're working for your kitchen table and you want something better to work on we bought cardboard desks okay and got them shipped oh really so you know, cardboard desks so they can work yeah. that were fully fledged workstations. workstations yeah. We sent them the chairs, we sent them the equipment. We spent a lot of money investing in those individuals mm. to work at home mm. and to do that. And like every other organization, every other business, it's a challenge time to get people to leave the office was a real challenge. Yeah, yeah. Getting them back in the office now is even more of a challenge, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, but at that time, you know, you had that not just the technical side of getting them to work and be comfortable at home, but also the psychological side. People were then at home in their four walls of their house, not meeting anybody. You know, that's a real challenge for, for an employer. Mm. Um, so what we did in my team anyway, we had regular catch-ups. We had virtual all-hands days. We got the team to talk to everyone individually and get the managers to talk to the individuals so that they were being properly supported. And if they had challenges, then take their time, take the time out. So if they have care responsibility or looking after LD parents, we said, look, don't worry about that. Take that yeah. time out. We know it's difficult. And the world of Zoom or Microsoft Teams means that you're working back to back. There is no gap. When you were in the office, you could walk to another meeting room, yes, which right. gives you a bit of a break mentally. Yeah. Or walk to walk to the water, water cooler, get That's a coffee right, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you could switch off for a moment, yeah. You can't when yeah. you're in back to back Teams meetings. So we went to that culture of having real hard, stressful meetings back to back and you feel like you've done a week's work in a day. Yeah, days so we started to say, well, actually, now, look, you need to put time between those meetings. You need to manage yourself better. Friday, don't have any meetings on Fridays. Yeah. So we started to install that kind of philosophy or that process in. Mm. And thankfully for us, it really would help. And just making sure that individual employees and my staff colleagues were were supported well enough. And in sometimes, in, in terms of your, your customers, the learners, I mean, how do you, I mean, was that a, a boom time? Was that a growth time? Was that, you know, difficult? Amazing, amazing time during COVID. We saw this massive uplift in in student learners coming to the OU because they had time. So a lot of people were sitting at home thinking, well, what do I do? do? I'm not working now because my work's, I'm I'm being furloughed. You know, I've got six months furloughed or or whatever. whatever. Actually, I can pick up some skills. So we saw a massive uptick from around 175,000 students to over 210. Thousand students wow. over that COVID period, yeah. um, which was amazing for us, and that was the power of the OU coming to reality. Really, 
saying, well, actually, if you have a bit of downtime, if you're being furloughed, don't sit around yeah. worrying, you know, sitting there watching TV all day. Learn some skills because actually when we come out of this the other end, and we will come out of this, you'll have hopefully a new set of skills that you can go to a new employer if your old employer doesn't want you anymore and develop a new career. And we saw a huge uptake in that. We've now seen a market correction. So we've now seen that our numbers have tailed off and they're above where we were pre-COVID, but still not the levels that we were in, in COVID time. Yeah, it was a definitely a usual time. In terms of yourself, as, you know, your, your team and so forth, I mean, you know, I think you're probably working flat out because people see you, you know, you're the leader within the organization. You've got people looking at you, you know, in terms of, you know, where are we, what's happening? You know, we don't know all the answers because we're working out as well, yeah. you know, looking at the government, looking at, you know, all, all those sort of things, and but giving people uh, some sense of stability, some sense of norm, some sense of element of, yes, we'll get through this, but also at the same time adapting to the, to the change. So how did you... It was a really challenging time and very yeah. stressful for me and my leadership team, actually, because yeah. we were juggling a lot of things. Not only are we moving teams from an office environment to a home environment, managing their insecurities, managing their challenges, yeah, to managing what the business was doing and the organization was doing, we're actually we're growing. So yeah. <laughs> you've got a double whammy. You've got, you know, you need more people to do more work yeah. and you've got demand, which is fantastic. But you've got people who actually have some insecurities or challenges. Yeah. And a real challenging time. And, you know, it's really difficult to say one thing worked for me, Saf, or not. But it's making sure that you have ears on the ground, yeah. making sure that you're in tune with your employees yeah. and your team and making sure that you're showing that you actually care about yeah. their, their, their well-being. They're the tangible things, I yeah. guess, from, from my perspective. So you had to do all of that as, alongside you know, juggling family life and mm-hmm. And all, all of those sort of things as well, because people sometimes forget that, you know, you're, you're having yeah. to do, do all of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, and, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, it was a challenging time for everyone. I mean, I'm probably not alone in that aspect yeah. that everyone was trying to do. And anyone who's a leader of an organization will have those challenges. But, you, you know, we invested the time. And I felt the duty of care to our team to make sure they were happy and they were, they were comfortable and doing what we can to make sure okay. that they, they could do the work. So, you know, you touched on it a little bit in terms of the challenges now in terms of getting people back to back to the office, adapting, you know, where, where is OU and, and where's your mindset in terms of where that balance is? So for me, you know, the world has changed yeah. overnight, I think, from everyone being face-to-face in the office to that hybrid blended model where, you know, people are either very remote or coming in the office few, a few days a week. For me, I, in my team, I've kind of come up with a mantra called location with a purpose. And location with a purpose means that if you need to come to the office because you need a photocopier, you need to meet with your team, you need support on something, come into the office. If you're doing some a report or, or crunching data and you need some alone time, some time, time to think, yeah. stay at home. Be more, more, more conscious about why you're doing it and where would be the best place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And say, well, actually, I need my own time. I need to concentrate. Well, actually, I'm going to stay at home because I get that time. I'm not being interrupted by people. I'm not getting the phone call. So stay at home. Come into the office. You want that social interaction. You're having a team meeting or actually you just want to come in because it's a change. That then That's kind of been the mantra for me. You see more, more some organizations now yeah. currently saying, well, actually, we're dictating coming to the office three or four days a week, Mondays and Fridays are ghost hands in most, most organizations yeah. currently. I don't think we can change that. I think the world has moved on. We've got to be flexible around it. And, you know, just talking to a team member now who's just recently had a baby, that flexibility we offer is so valuable to her because she can then set her, settle her baby down in the morning, you know, maybe knock off a bit earlier because she, you know, they, they're preparing for dinner. 
you know, and have that flexibility in between to be able to do that and, and still come into the office every now and again if she needs to. So I think we've moved on from that. But I do have a part of me that says we're missing that water cooler moment where, you know, you overhear things in the coffee room or when you're making a coffee or a tea and you go, actually, yeah. Yeah, that might work. Or that, yeah. Yeah. Why, why are you doing that? We're, miss, we're missing that bit. Mm. Stuff. And I think, how do you get that back? I don't know. It's really challenging because walking around the building, I hear things and you go, oh, right. Maybe we should be doing this a different yeah, way. Yeah. That was pre-COVID. Now... Yeah. It's a different story. How do I find those things, nuggets out? You have to go and forcefully ask for it and you can't meet them in a casual conversation over over a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. They're the things I miss, actually. Okay. It's a thing that's difficult to find. So you as a leader within the sector and also as a leader within this organisation, you know, you've done a lot of work external. You know, your job, that's a key part of your job, to really be externally mm-hmm. facing, to have these partnerships, uh, to be the face of OU to a certain level. And then at the same time, you've got your team, some of them more internally facing, some of them see the fact that you're busy and so forth. I mean, how, you know, in terms of, you know, you and you developing your team, share with us your thoughts in terms of you as a leader, what works, what's worked for you, and, you know, how, how do you manage others? How would you like to be, you know, managed and led? And you know, just talk to us a little bit about yeah. So in terms that, of, I think, you, yeah, that's a really good question. I think for us as a team, it's been challenging. Um, but for me, I've got a really good senior team and ownership is really key for, for, for me in this, letting them own what they're doing. So yeah. not being the manager that micromanages, being very delegatory in terms of showing them the problem. We need to fix this or we need to do this. Go and do it. Being there as a coach, as a mentor, as a supporter of, of challenges and actually, for I'm honest, being the unblocker. When they come across a blocker, it's my job to unblock it, right? That's the kind of approach I have because they then own it. And for me, you know, people can make mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? But actually, that's how you learn. So if you don't make a mistake, you're not really learning, in my, in my opinion. So let them, allow them to make mistakes. Allow them to grow from that. And obviously, if they make the same mistake twice, you're going to be having a conversation or maybe three times. You're going, well, really, you can't be doing this more often. But for me, it's about ownership, accountability, and giving them the ability to drive to the solution in their, their way mm. and just being that supporting mechanism around it. That allow, frees me up to do what I need to do, which is the wider piece, but allows it gives the team the responsibility and the independence to, to drive forward in what they need to do. So in terms of, you know, if you're recruiting, I mean, we talk about unconscious bias and we talk about some of the things, that some of the suggestions that you're doing. Is there a change going on, taking place within OU in terms of your own, uh, you know, you have a large employer, continuously recruiting. Have you been able to sort of, penetrate so those sort of ideas within the within the university and how is that currently working for yourselves yeah so you know we are trying to have this uh, anonymous kind of application process so as yeah. a first step in yeah. making sure there is no unconscious bias in terms yeah. of names and seeing their background and also actually education taking the education piece out of it so we are now starting to ask them questions around well how would you answer this problem we've got what's mm-hmm. what's your solve to that what's your view on this what would you do with regards to this situation? Yeah. So seeing it slightly different rather than focusing on the CV. And then at that point when we've, we've seen something that we like, we go, actually, let's have a conversation with them first. Let's understand the individual before you then bring them to interview. Mm. So have an f- informal conversation. Um, so that's the kind of things that we're trying to instill. Is that easy to do, though, you know, in terms of having conversations with people informally? It's, if somebody knocked on your door and said, you know, yeah. I'm interested in working, can I have a conversation with yourself? Yeah. 
I'm happy to do that. I'm yeah. always happy. My door is always open to my guys to say, yeah. well, actually, come and have a chat to me about things. Yeah. And I'm always willing to do that. Time is limited for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, if, if you're serious about this, yeah. everyone's got to make the time. It's not just my time, but actually, you know, it doesn't have to be me all the time. It can be my senior leaders. It can be managers further down the line. They can all be part of that journey for just being able to have that one five, ten minute conversation about it. And you get a feel for that individual straight away, right? Yeah. And, you know, as I say, impressions, first impressions last. And if you're impressed by that individual, you're going, actually, that person could be quite smart. Um, we should, mm. we should you know, take them forward. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's trying to have those individual conversations, if you can, prior to an interview, I think. Is. Okay. I mean, in terms of, you know, you're, you know you're, as I said, you're externally facing, you're involved with a number of organizations. You sit, you know, you're a judge for, for business awards. You know, you're talking to business leaders, small businesses, micro businesses. What are the issues that they're facing in, in, your, in your view at the moment that's sort of pressing? So, we, you know, the major one there is cost of living, right? The fact that everything is more expensive, the cost of heat, light, production materials, supply, supplies are expensive. So there is a, there is a financial challenge currently in that yeah. marketplace. And, yeah. you know, you can't forever be increasing your prices because yeah. sometimes the market's not going to be able to take it. Yeah. So there's around that. There's also a challenge around skills and getting the right skills for your organization. Um, every organization I talk to has a skills gap, whether it's in digital leadership, you know, in you know, nursing where we work with lots of NHS trusts, there are gaps everywhere and not enough people to fill those gaps or the right people. And that is a challenge for organizations for sure. And, you know, what I've been saying to them is like, you need to start growing your own. You know, you have people in your team that can develop into those. Well, yeah. maybe that's where you start and then you can start developing a process around it. So it's that. And finally, I think for them, there is this thing about sustainability and being able to make sure that we are on this planet for a lot longer than we, we should we currently could be. Yeah. And that is a challenge for organizations, not only as a, from a view that they're impacted by it, but also from a view that actually they should be doing good. There was a big, big thing last year, particularly with COP26. Uh, we were all talking about it in terms of the organizations and so forth, and it was big news. Do you feel that? SME micro businesses can relate to some of the issues that large organisations and corporates are talking yeah. about. I think I think they can because yeah. those new customers of theirs, the younger generation, are very very passionate about this. So actually, from my perspective, I see this as actually they need to do this. If they don't do this, they're not going to be in business for much longer because those individuals will choose organizations that have that sustainable outlook on life um so i think they've got to get part of that they've got to be on that journey as with diversity as with equity and everything else but mm. you know those younger employees those younger customers that are coming through are very focused on these things these challenges and they're at the top of their list so it's part of the employer brand and making sure that you know you yeah. you appeal to your customers and potentially you know people that you're going to be recruiting yeah, absolutely yeah, so that's... ignoring it i'd say do that at your peril peril yeah Try and embrace it, even okay. in a little way. Try and embrace what yeah. you can do. So, if you if you're talking to an SME business owner, a business leader, and you talk about say diversity, and you know you sell them diversity is positive, you know you need to have diversity of thought and so forth, and the productivity side of it, is that something that do you think SME businesses also relate to, or do you think it's just corporate speak and corporate language and how? And, you know, and what's the commercials in your view? How do you convince somebody to say yeah. it's actually a good thing for you to consider? Well, I, in my experience, the SMEs that I've been talking to actually do have a diverse background. Yeah. So they bring people, because maybe because they are so small, that they, they attract those different type of diverse backgrounds because yeah. they are stepping into this. Yeah. And they may not be paying the high wages, but people are stepping stony into yeah. them. So actually you get a diverse, as a result of being small, you actually yeah. get a diverse 
diverse background or yeah. diverse employee base. The commercials are, are challenging, right? Yeah. Because they're not going to have the big ticket spend yeah. in, in getting recruiting. Yeah. And, you know, recruiting somebody is really expensive business, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, you know, they've got to do it in a different way. So they've yeah. got to reach out. And what I've been talking to SMEs about is reaching out to organizations like yourself who are in that diversity space and go, look, how can you help us? Work with local colleges, work with local universities, work with local organizations that, that have that access to it and use them as a channel to get your jobs and your, your company out there. That can only help you build a diverse workforce. They need it more than ever. They mm. need to be able to be linking with organizations that have that kind of diversity yeah. within them to help them do what yeah. they need to do. In terms of, you know, growing your own stuff, I mean, you know, people talk about, you know, develop your own people, uh, invest in them and so forth. It's easy said in some aspects of it. It's quite difficult to retain people. You know, there's a war on talent. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a shortage of staff. Uh, employers are saying, you know, they just can't get the staff. Before, that used to be a mindset thing. When somebody said, you know, I can't get the staff, it used to be, I can't get the staff with the right mindset. You know, I can't get the right people. Mm -hmm. Now, there's just not enough people applying for certain things. People have got sometimes more options. It's a global market, global arena. You know, you're competing against, you know, tech organizations. You mentioned your your brother, he works in a tech organization. Sometimes they're they run on different metrics. It's not necessarily PL, they've got capital to invest in and they're in different phases of growth. Just as the higher education institutions are competing in the further education market, everybody's competing. You know, it's a competitive environment, it's a very tough environment for mm. organizations. And everybody's thinking about their future and about surviving, thriving. There's a lot there that I've just thrown at you, yeah. uh, Viran. Just share with us your your thoughts about some of those yeah. topics and things. There is a massive war on talent, you know, talent attraction, development, retention, recruitment. Yeah. You know, it's a big challenge for organizations. Yeah. And you're never going to keep every every person, right, ultimately. But this is where I think education and skills is, is the key to some of this stuff. So if you can offer benefits, you offer benefits like pension, gym membership, yeah. you know, health, health, medical health. Well, actually, education should be part of that benefits package, mm. in my view, mm. helping to build and invest in your team. Maybe a budget for learning, yeah. maybe. Yeah, budget yeah. for learning so that they can actually invest in it and they see the value for themselves. So for me, you're only not only helping the individual develop their skills and have a personal advancement, but actually you're building loyalty as well. They mm. say, well, actually... You invested in me. So when an attractive opportunity arises, they will be think, hopefully think twice about, well, you invested in me. I feel a sense of loyalty towards you because you've got me to where I am. Then, you know, that's a, that can only help, right? I'm not saying you're going to keep every single person, but an appreciation of that from that team would, would help. And they, they will advocate for you. I mean, I've got a, a great example where we've had a degree apprentice who's been with us for nearly six years, five years now, sorry. Mm. He's got a first-class degree at the OU now, and he's been working really well and, and, and developed. There's only so far I can take him now. He's now got a new role outside the OU in Milton Keynes, working okay. as, a, as an analyst. He's gone with my blessing. I said, well, actually, that's great, but he's recognized that I'm investing time and energy. So look, I'd like to come back at one point. So this is not the end of my relationship with you as an employer. I want to go there, try and develop, get some new skills. And I'd love to come back and work with you again. And that happens more and more now. I mean, I believe you know you left BPP and went back as well. Yeah. And you know what? Because you must have had a, a good experience, and you know you had a lot yeah. of you know fun memories in terms of working for an employer. And yeah. and it's that transition out sometimes, you know, and recognizing the fact that they're they're not necessarily leaving you as such. You know, in terms of it's not yeah. personal; it's just part of personal development yeah. and growth. Yeah, yeah, um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I went to back to BPP uh, a couple of occasions because there was value there, and I enjoyed who I was working with. And actually, there was a 
you know, something that I thought I could add value to. So going back and not burning your bridges is really important as a as an employee. Um, but just on that on that point around, you know, how do you compete, yeah. Saf, with with employers like Microsoft who are taking, yeah. you know, I've had the conversation with an MK software house that says, well, I lost twenty of my developers overnight to Microsoft. There is a challenge there, but yeah. you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to compete with those individuals. But what you can do is give those individual employees the ability to invest in themselves and build your own. So you've got a ready pipeline. It's not going to come overnight, but then you've got another set of individuals ready to move into those boots of those individuals that are left. So you have a cycle. I think the succession planning is more and more now in organizations and, and in leaders in terms of yeah. thinking about you know the team and the future and and part of the risk risk management yeah. aspect of it. And, and talent ID, right? Yeah. Talent identification is yeah. important, you know. Understanding who your stars are mm-hmm. and saying, well, actually, we're going to look after you and putting some really quality time in them and sponsoring them effectively in the, in the yeah. organization. And an SME is going to have challenges, right? But yeah. if you can allow them to be trained and reskilled, I know money can be tight and there are ways to fund that outside of this, government ways, funded schemes. You should try and do that. I mean, there's a, there's a uh, sort of a, quite a well-known saying, people don't leave organizations, they leave managers in some elements of mm. it. And sometimes, you know, people are, as managers, uh, and, and maybe, you know, you've come across this, may not have the skill sets or they're accidental managers or, yes. you know, organizations possibly haven't invested in those managers and they're representing you as, a, as an entity, as an organization. And, and what's your general thoughts in terms of how you see some of your team leaders and managers deal and yeah. tackle with these, these yeah. issues? You're absolutely right. I mean, we're all accidental managers. No yeah. one's taught you to lead a team, right? No one's said that there's a book here yeah. that says this is how you should lead a team, right, or manage a team. You learn that on the job. Mm. And you're right, there are some good managers and bad managers. I've had some really bad managers <laughs> in, my, in my career, and I've left organizations as a result of that manager. Yeah. I actually believe that, you know, people don't leave an organization and leave it because of yeah, a manager. Yeah. But, it, you know, organizations are now becoming more and more, I feel they're more and more tuned to this because people are accidental managers. People are promoted to a manager because they're good at their job. They're sub- subject matter experts, yeah. but actually they may not be good at managing a team. Managing people, yeah. And I think about, you know, I'm a, I'm a cricketer, so I think about Mike Brearley years ago, England captain. Not a great cricketer, but actually what a great man and manager. He understood people, he understood the psyche. So it's being able to, as a leader or as an organization, to understand actually who are good leaders and who are good subject matter experts, and don't mix the two up. And subject matter expert is very good for one reason. They're great at their subject. They understand that. Mm. They may not be great managers. Mm. So actually get somebody who yeah. can manage yeah. and understands the element of it. So don't mix the two up because we, you know, you promote your best player, right? Sometimes the they, may, they may not be the best captain. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the whole point, right? Yeah. You've got to think of it in that way and invest in those managers. Have a, have a leadership program. Have a program that develops them. You know, I'm not talking about degrees or anything but you know programs that are there and they're already available free of charge around negotiation skills managing a team coaching they're all there they're out there in the, in the world use those but build build that into the the day-to-day work of developing your, your team leaders or your managers yeah. in, in terms of you know organizational growth and organization development i mean in terms of your style of leadership you know just talk to us in terms of how does that sort of look like you know do you have one-to-ones do you have appraisals do you how do you work with yeah. your team so i'm very delegated with my team it's yeah. about them owning their areas and i'm, I'm very kind of hands-off they'll come and support coaching them. type model it's very much yeah. a coaching type model and enabling them and unblocking issues yeah. but you know problem solving yeah, yeah and working with them and actually when they come to me with a problem i'm going well what's what what do you what think you yeah what's your approach to this yeah. and then i'll i'll work around it so that's kind of my approach it's definitely one-to-one driven 
the one-to-ones are very much about the day-to-day job, but also every now and again, every fourth or fifth one, it will be about them as an individual. Okay. What do I need to do for you to develop? So let's worry about the work. That's, that's yeah. done. But actually, as you as an individual, how do I help you develop? What do I need to do to make you support you in your development journey? So every now and again, have a development one-to-one rather than the business one-to-one okay. because actually that's really important. So personal growth-led, yeah. you know, okay. Yeah. Aspirations, yeah. ambition. And you're not going to be able to meet all those needs because yeah. people have ambitions and sometimes yeah. you cannot support them in your organization. But actually being able to say, well, actually, I can find you somebody else or I can find somebody who can support you, maybe inside the organization or outside the organization, that can help you with that. If you're that supportive and that. I mean, people say leadership is a, is a lonely place and we all need people that we can lean on and sort of touch base with and so forth. You know, how do you as a person keep going and, you know, who do you lean to on and how, you know, do you have people that you regard as mentors or people that, you know, are peer support? You know, how, how does that work for you? I think that's really valuable, having yeah. a mentor or peer support. So yeah. I have a group, because I'm on the senior leadership program at the OU, I have a group of peers that I can run off problems with. So we call, what we do is we on a regular basis, we have action learning sets. An action learning set is quite an interesting concept where you'll chat to masters where you replay a problem that you're having and ask the team or that, that peer group to give you their insight into how you'd fix it. Okay. So it just shares the load, gets different insights and actually maybe gives you a pathway to, to fixing that people problem. People open to having, having yeah, these absolutely. conversations. That, that cohort of leaders or yeah. senior leaders are very much into that. So I would be saying to people, you know, how big or small your organisation Action learning set it. Look at look that up. Google it and then find out what that means because you can actually do some really valuable things with okay. that. Action learning setting. Yeah. Okay. So that's definitely one thing. Um, outside I work, I have a mentor. I have a great ex-manager of mine yeah. who I work with, who I talk to fairly regularly, not so much now. And bounce ideas off and just get a bit of get yourself out of the element of it and just divorce yourself for a bit. Think about the problem, chat to him about it and go, right, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought are you, why are you worried about that? Don't worry about that. That's not relevant. It's because you're being emotional about it rather than thinking about it. You lose that perspective. Yeah, it? you lose that perspective, right? Because you get very emotional about certain things. We all do. So having a mentor or a sponsor or somebody you can talk to outside the business is really valuable. So I have one of those, which is which is great. Yeah. And obviously, I have I play a lot of cricket, so I have a lot of people in my cricket club who I just talk to about stuff. And I you anonymize it because it's simple. But you go, well, I have this problem. I have this problem. What do you know? What was happening? So having a network of individuals you can call upon to talk to because it's being a leader is a very lonely place but you can't please everyone all the time some people you know they see it as a sign of weakness having conversations where they're sort of showing their vulnerabilities or sharing their frustrations yeah. and so forth and i'm know. the first to say don't know the, yeah the answer to the problem i mean, i don't know <laughs> yeah because they, they come to you as a leader to say we can solve the problem I'm like, actually i don't know okay how are we going to fix this all right yeah. let's go and figure this out together that's, or, that's really teamwork them. isn't it then? and so you know you shouldn't be the font of all knowledge because you're not uh, yeah. And nor should you be, because otherwise you'd be a subject matter expert, right? Yeah. And that goes back to that, that conversation. And um, you, you shouldn't know everything. Or yeah. you, you shouldn't profess to know everything. And if you're doing that as a manager, you're probably not, you're doing yeah. yourself a disservice. Yeah. When I was going through, you know, your career history and so forth, I mean, you were the SME, you were the subject matter expert, you know, you were technical and you've transitioned. You know, you, you had your expertise and in some of your roles, uh, it was the expertise that you were shouting out about and then you've sort of transitioned so if there, if there are people who are technical, and so not everybody wants to be the leader, not everybody wants to go into a management role and so forth, talk to us about you know what, what good looks like. How does that work? And talk to us about people who don't want to do that. And you know because it's I think it's a blessing if you know exactly what you want to do. 
you know, and it takes us a lot, sometimes a lifetime to really know this is, you know, that whole emotional awareness and yeah. lifetime to to really, this is what drives me, this is what makes me tick. So sort of talk to us a little bit about, you know, maybe some nuggets of wisdom from yourself in terms of you know, how's that transition been for you? What advice would you give to somebody else? Yeah. I'm not sure about the wisdom, but I'll give you my <laughs> thoughts on this one. Yeah. I mean, if you're a subject matter expert, I mean, for us, work is a large part of our life, right? Yeah. So you've got to enjoy what you do for the first part. Yeah. That's the important piece. Enjoy your job. If you enjoy your job, that's always going to get you out of bed and you're always going to motivate you, right? So that's the first thing. Yeah. Get a job that you enjoy that, that wakes you up. And I, I love my job. And why do I love my job? Because of the diversity of what I do. I cover a wide breadth portfolio the base. Portfolio, yeah. You know, and I, it's a new day every day, right? And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a school day every day for me, in essence. So, you know, and you're right. I did have a kind of a very subject matter finance background moving into But for me, I learned these slightly wider, broader, I'd say non-softer, I heard the word soft skills, yeah. but communication, the art of managing people, the, the ability to add credibility when you're in a meeting, just through practice yeah. and through being involved and exposed to that through my career yeah. and through managers who actually supported me and said, well, actually, Viren, I need to come to this meeting. You learn lots. Watch what we do. So actually watching, mimicking, understanding that and having that opportunity to do that. And if subject matter experts want to become managers, shadow your boss, shadow your line manager, shadow somebody who's doing that and learn from them. And then when you get the chance, put that into practice and say, actually, next time around, boss, can I do that? Can I take the lead on it? And, you know, and that's what I did. I mean, you know, I mentioned my my line manager one time, you know, the, one, the inspirational person who, because of their open university degree, became a, a, a manager. You've had a few managers, you know, good and bad and so forth. Talk to us about, no names, names not, not needed, but in terms of the impact, particularly in the early days, a manager, a team leader can have in somebody's sort of aspiration and, and sort of, you know, because it is part of our growth to a sort of level, particularly in terms of our careers. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was really important to have a sponsor, somebody who, from a leadership point of view, knew what you did and actually showcased you yeah. as an individual and talked about you. And said, look, Viren actually knows what he's doing. Let's bring him into the meeting. Yeah. Viren, what do you think about this? And can you take this to the next level? Can yeah. you do this? Can you do that? And that's what I really appreciated. That's the power of having a manager who understands you, understands where you're going and what your skills are. And, being able to to sponsors you, yeah. right? and having a sponsor, I'd, I'd recommend anyone who can get a sponsor from their leadership team to sponsor somebody to sponsor them. And it's not about pally pally sponsorship it's all about well actually this is business sponsorship this is about actually someone who can they see the value in what you do and they bring you into conversations rather than excluding you and that you know if you can get that that's really valuable mm. from my personal perspective and that's helped me so i've had managers who've done that in the past one who's been really really is that something you adopt as well and i yeah and yeah. i do that as well so i i know a few individuals that i sponsor inadvertently they don't realize that but i'm i'm pushing them yeah call their causes in other areas by saying, yeah. well, you need to talk to this person, you need to talk to this person because they know what they're doing. And actually by that, you're doing in that way, you're subliminally giving them that progression or development yeah. without them even knowing it. So, Vinod, in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of the future and uh, future aspirations for the organisation, you know, we, we, we've discussed this definitely challenging times, a lot of opportunities there, a lot of discussion in terms of what's right, uh, what fits in within the values of Open University, what works for for yourselves, uh, topics of conversation. You know, you talked about again the the skills agenda, the international globalization of it. Talk to us a little bit about in terms of open universities, sort of ambition for the future, and and, and then if we can finish a little bit about you could self in terms of 
the, the things that are keeping you a little bit awake or the things that are driving you personally yeah at, at work but also a little bit about the bigger aspects of it particularly in terms of diversity uh, agenda which you lead on so i think in terms of for the ou the open university i think in terms of our ambition it's about that extending that reach being relevant for the next 50 or 50 years old yeah. now so actually being relevant for another 50 years so actually being able to change with that demographic and that policy landscape which is shifting now towards more around skills so you know it's going to be a make or break for us as an organization to actually move into that space and keep moving into that space and being able to be relevant and actually why would people come to the OU what is the reason for coming to the OU that has to be that uniqueness yeah that, that uniqueness yeah. that relevance that outcome driven piece um, mm. and that I think has to be for any organization not just the OU it's about you know, being relevant because people are changing their moods are changing you know, there's a recent survey around, you know, higher education around, you know, students, what, what do they want in terms of do they want 100% face-to-face or do they want 100% online? Actually, they want a 60-40 split. They don't want to be online all the time. They don't want to be face-to-face all the time. They want to have a kind of a, a split. And if they weren't have, don't have the split, they'd rather be online. So actually, that plays the OU. So what we have as organizations go, well, actually, how do we then fit that 100, 100% online piece, but also fit that blended piece? Um, so we're thinking about, you know, the shape and form of the OU in terms of that and our delivery. And obviously, generative AI is going to change the way we deliver yeah. and how we do it. And again, you know, that's something that we're embracing, actually. We're not running scared of it. We're saying we need to embrace it. How can that make us a better, more relevant organization for the future for the next 50 years? And in terms of yourself and, and your sort of ambition and, you know, in terms of, I mean, obviously a lot of it is uh, alongside our open universities plans, but... In terms of, you know, you're doing a lot of extracurricular activities. You know, you mentioned the cricket team, but it's not just about that. It's also the the work that you do in terms of the local economy, you know, getting involved with the the alliance, all these different hats that you keep you keep wearing and you keep adding yeah. to what what does that look like? I think for me, I mean, yeah, if you think about fast forward ten years maybe yeah. and I'm kind of retiring and I would want to be my vision is to be a kind of a non-exec director for some organizations so carry on with the portfolio carry on with the portfolio but in a in a part-time capacity but adding value and if i can add value back to the community that for me what what, what keeps me going because as soon as you're adding value you can see the end outcome you see an individual or a young learner developing and, and and growing i take a lot of pride from that you know one thing as a leader you know you talk about success as a leader and you think about the good times and the bad times but success for me as a leader is about somebody saying that viran you influence me and you helped me in this career, and I did this. And that a little bit is down to you. That I take a lot of reward from yeah. that, a lot of satisfaction, actually. So yeah. being able to help people on their journey yeah. is what I'm about. So anything in that field would be would be wonderful for me um, going forward. And while I'm at the OU, it's about you know driving the OU's mission and, and passion for what we do as, a, as an ATI. I'm just going to say once again, you know, absolutely, you know, congratulations in terms of this thought leadership piece that you're doing. Yeah, it, it is very different to what I look. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm very active in the market. You know, keep a keep keen interest in terms of what what people are doing. And you know, you've taken a, a big investment, a big chance in terms of the elevate equity, and that's definitely pioneering. And you know, if I've, if anybody hasn't seen it, as a must must watch, Absolutely. must watch. And I think uh, you know, hats off to you in terms of that. Thank you so much for your support with the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance. Uh, thank you so much for your encouragement. You know, you're, you know, you know. I see you as a mentor, somebody, a role model that I look up to. There's so many things, so many, you know, so many things that you've shared with us today. You know, you know when Jag and I talk, 
about you know uh, open university and, and your involvement and your support it's always with, with a lot of praise a lot of a lot of positivity honestly thank you so much for all your encouragement and support and thank you for your time today you're very welcome thank you Vera. and the feeling is mutual <laughs> thank you Vera. thank you Thank you to Viran for his insight and knowledge into the workings of the Open University. If you don't want to miss any future episode of the Canny Conversations podcast, then don't forget to subscribe or follow us. And if you are new to the podcast, let me tell you there are already 63 other Canny Conversations podcast episodes out there. And you can listen back to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. It would also be really helpful if you could review the podcast and tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcast.co.uk or go to Safraz's website, that's safraz.co.uk. Safras has also written a series of easy-to-follow business books, Canny Bytes, and these are available from cannybytes.co.uk forward slash buy the book. Next week, Safras will be talking to Rachel Jagger Thomas from JTL. So until then, have a good week. This is a 1386 audio production.